Zach, and I'm back with another episode of Elevate and Accelerate. And today I'm welcoming a very special guest, Homer Smith. He is a private wealth advisor with over 20 years of industry experience and has dedicated his practice to working with business owners and families of wealth with complex financial planning needs. His mission is to simplify the lives of his clients by quieting the noise that surrounds them both personally and in their business and allow them to focus on what matters most, their purpose and their goals. He has two books. His most recent is Making Smart Decisions, How Ultra-Wealthy Families Get Superior Wealth Planning Results. So Homer, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zach. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll dive into a little bit of, of what that book is about. Um, but uh, for those of you who don't know who you are, kind of tell me a little bit of, of uh, where you came from and how you got into this industry. Yeah, so I've really been doing this my whole career, which is, uh, I don't know if it's as common anymore, but uh, you know, I went to college initially thinking I wanted to be an attorney and it was poli sci major. I, I kind of like arguing and, 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 and winning arguments and at least in my mind thinking I'm right um, and, and trying to prove it. And, and so, you know, le the law legal world seemed like the right fit. Um, but I took a business law class and I've really fell in love with finance and the business side of it. So I said, okay, well, minor in, in finance, because I like business finance might be the direction I would take. And I really took one finance course and was like, yeah, this is, this is really what I should be doing. I, I get this. It made complete sense. It was, I mean, it relatively came easy for me. It wasn't easy in general, but it was, you know, the concepts really just made sense to me. And I just really enjoyed the problem solving nature of, of, of how the financial world worked. So, um, switched to uh, a major in, in finance and business and right out of college, you know, jumped into this financial planning world. So, um, mm. I think I'm, I, I, you know, interestingly enough, starting into that career, my first week as an advisor was the week of nine 11, 2001. Wow. So, um, you know, I was in college as a finance major all through the, the dot com bubble, uh, building and the excitement around that. And, and then, you know, really the first 18 months of my career, the market for the most part did nothing but go down. Um, and with a couple of obviously big tragic events around that. And so that was my indoctrination into this world. And, and I, uh, was able to, that was one of the things I figured out as part of my introduction is I, I was able to, you know, help people kind of quiet all the noise and, and really see what, what was really important to them and how can we focus on that and not focus on all the, the, the stuff going on around them. And not that it didn't matter, you know, obviously there were some big things going on in the world, but it, it wasn't going to, it, there's nothing that's in their control um, and, and not even really anything they could influence. And so what they could control is what they were doing towards their own goals and, and working with their family. And, and so that's what we focused on. And, and I was, I became pretty good at that. And, and also, um, I have a knack for being able to take really complex ideas and making them simple and understandable. Um, because what I know is, you know, you could be a really smart technician and you can uh, be the smartest advisor, attorney, CPA, whatever it might be. But if you can't, get your ideas across to a client in a way that they feel comfortable with and understand they're not going to do them and they're not going to end up being any better off. And so it's like, how do we take these complex ideas and make them understandable in a way we'll actually do them. And so that's really how I got kicked off is figuring out just a way to communicate with families in a way that got them to take action. Um, and that led to a number of other directions in the career, but that's, that's really how it all got started. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine, right. It's like, uh, it's like getting a real estate license in, in the real estate bubble, right. It's yeah. like all of a sudden you jump into this and it's like a worst case scenario from, from that perspective of trying to, uh, you know, cut your teeth in a new industry, let alone when it's, when it's, uh, struggling really difficultly. So yeah. it makes sense that that would really kind of hone your skills and being able to, to walk people through and see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel and that this isn't the end and, and really focus in on, like you said too, it's like their purpose and their goals, despite what's going on out here, let's focus on that and then figure out what we can use as the resources that we have to accomplish those goals. Yep. Absolutely. That's cool. Um, so I know, uh, and have talked with and have worked with financial advisors and different things. I mean, there's so many different directions that you could go. Obviously you ended up in, in a couple really specific areas, but, um, what I've noticed most and what I know about you and how you've worked with people and, and what I've heard too, is, is how much you really care and dive into, uh, people's lives and, and really take the complex things like, you know, transitioning in, in, from being a business owner or an operator or something like that. So tell me a little bit about how you got into this particular niche and, and what that did for you. Yeah, it's a little bit of a backstory, so I'll try to make it fast. But I, uh, it's, so part of my trajectory after starting off, you know, in that and the dot com bubble bursting in 2001 and all that, I, I ended up pretty quickly moving into leadership um, in my career. So I ended up uh, building a team um, in the Seattle area, a pretty big team that I was uh, training, developing um, recruiting, and then ended up getting an opportunity to, to take on a bigger uh, operation in, in Hawaii for the, the large firm I was working for, right? You know, recently married, moved out to Hawaii, and I was managing a branch of 25 advisors and staff. And so I got to see a completely different side of what we were doing. And so no longer was it just working with clients. Now I was helping 25 other advisors uh, you know, build their careers and, and do what I was doing. And it just so happened to be right in the middle of the 2007 to 2009 financial crisis. So, you know, I, I think it was good that I had that experience starting in 9-11 and I was able to help, I think, share some of my experiences and help bring them through all of that. But it was also where it led to my career now, I think, is I, uh, it was my first chance of really running my own P&L. So I was actually responsible um, for you know, really running the operations of the business itself. Mm. And you know, also recognizing I didn't like the fact that I didn't have full control of it. So being a part of a big organization, about half of my P&L was dictated to me that I had zero control over. I couldn't influence. We were out in Hawaii. We didn't really get any of the advertising or anything that was going on on the mainland. But, you know, we had to basically, you know, contribute our fair share. And so um, it was my first real chance of being a business owner to some extent, being able to manage that P&L. And I, and I eventually realized I didn't like uh, the corporate world. I didn't want to be in corporate management. So I, I, I went back, uh, back to the Seattle area and restarted my practice and decided I'm going to focus on working with business owners. Um, I, I recognize those were and some of the research I was doing with some of the mastermind groups I was a part of is that that's really where the wealth was. Um, and it's really also where the complexity was. And I really love solving problems. And so that led to, you know, just spending years, really 10 years of doing research on uh, how to bring more value to private business owners, because the traditional wealth management world is managing money. That's what we do. That's what we like to do. Uh, that's what we kind of came into this industry to do. And uh, but most private business owners, you know, a large majority of their wealth is in their business, it's in the equity of their business, it's in real estate. It's it's, you know, typically a very small amount is liquid in the market. And so that's not really where our value was. 
um, for them. So I had to figure out how do I actually do that? I didn't really know how to do that. And so again, spent about 10 years doing research on, okay, before they sell their business, what are some of the things that we can do to help bring more value, help them increase the value of the company, you know, get their financial uh, situation in order so they could maximize the opportunity for a successful transition. And then post-sale, you know, what are the things we could then do to make sure that they feel comfortable that they're going to be able to continue to live the lifestyle they want to live and, you know, be able to transition that wealth to their family in a way that's you know, meaningful and positive and not destructive and all those things. And so i um, really been spending the last 10 plus years on building a process around that and then working with um, the right professionals that uh, really spend the most time with those business owners. So typically it's, you know, CPAs and it's uh, trust and estates and business attorneys and, and really building a collaborative approach to you know, optimize the financial worlds of, of our clients. So I imagine like being a business owner and depending on the type of business that you're in and, and everything like that, I'm sure there's some nuances, but uh, you spend your entire life want, building this thing, right? And, and seeing it be successful. And then, and then when you get to the end of that, like would you, whether you want to pass it on, give it to your kids, sell it, whatever it is, it's kind of like, holy cow, now what do I do? Right. And so your, your experience and history of having researched this for 10 years and worked with people, I'm sure is, is really helpful, but I'm, I imagine that there's questions that they don't even know to ask, um, that they should be looking for. So like, what are some of the, what are some of the things that business owners out there right now that they could be listening to this podcast and thinking like, Oh, what should I be paying attention to as I'm growing my business or, or in that phase, or even thinking about that phase in the next 10 years or so? Yeah, from, so for the work that we do, so there's there's lots of um, consultants and people we work with that like are very specific to their business. So how do you, for that particular type of business, drive some additional value, drive additional um, bottom line profits that are you know very in the weeds from the financial or operation sense? You know, we don't really get into the weeds on all of that stuff. It's much more on that intersection of their personal wealth and the business wealth. So how do we help them? you know, think about the business and their personal wealth um, before the sale and what it needs to look like to get them in a position to optimize um, and, and increase the chance of a, of a successful exit. And so where that comes from, and, and I'll kind of get to the how and some of the specifics on it is, is part of the research that I was doing and, and helped fund was we found that um, when a business goes to market, so when they actually are ready and say, hey, I'm, I want to actually sell my business, I'm ready to go, um, only about one in four, one in five businesses successfully complete a sale once they've raised their hand and said they're ready. And there's many reasons for that, whether they just weren't ready themselves, the market wasn't ready, you know, interest rates were higher. There's all sorts of reasons why maybe that was true. Um, but it's only about one in four, one in five actually complete a sale. And then once they complete the sale, um, in some surveys that we did, only 12% of those that completed the sale said they were highly satisfied with the outcome. Wow. So if you put those two together, you know, one in four, one in five, and then 12% of that, it's like two or 3% that start the process to say, hey, I'm ready to sell my business, end up highly satisfied with the outcome. Mm. And in our kind of discussing it with business owners, what we found really it was, it was a lack of preparation on the pre-sale planning for the business itself and then a lack of pre-sale planning on their personal lives. They didn't really do the work to identify, okay, what am I really making every year in my business? What kind of expenses am I running through the business that are really lifestyle expenses that, you know, as business owners, we, we get to run through the business itself. Um, what's the after-tax dollars I actually, might actually get um, when I sell this business? What is my business even worth? 
Um, and they oftentimes, you know, they'll hear, oh, my buddy in a similar business sold for seven or 10 X their profit. Well, was that really true? What kind of, what was the profit number they were actually using? Um, what were the stipulations on that deal? Was there some cash, but a big earnout, and they're never going to get the earnout? And so it's really educating the owner on what are some of the things that are typically they're going to experience in that deal process and what are the things they can do within their business so that they are more likely to get a, a what I would say a better structure in the deal where more cash up front, um, less of an earnout. Uh, uh, we actually did the math so they actually know what does this thing need to sell for to generate the income they're going to need to live a, a lifestyle that they want to live and, and it really helped them think through that process. And then another huge part of it is, you know, we just, we spent almost all of this, you know, part talking about the financial side of it. Um, what ends up, I think, getting in the way of a lot of these deals is not just the financial side of it, but it's the mental side. And for most of the clients I work with, they're founder led private businesses. That business is their purpose. It's their life. It's, you know, they've put so much time, energy, effort into it that um, if they don't really think about, well, what am I going to do when I don't have this business anymore? Um, oftentimes they will sabotage the deal process themselves, maybe not even consciously, it might even be subconscious where they, they fight every term and condition. They're, they're very challenged through the entire sale process because really deep down, they don't want to sell it. They don't want to do it. They're not ready. And so a lot of our processes on the emotional mental side, even before they go to market, are you really emotionally and mentally ready, um, mm. to sell this business? Uh, do you have a purpose beyond this business when you're no longer running it day to day and what is that going to look like and what are your hobbies and a lot of times when we ask a private business owner what their hobbies are outside the business they don't have any and wow. they've just focused so much on that business uh, so so it's really beyond the financial side it's a lot of work on them themselves and are they again emotionally um, and mentally ready for a transition like that as well that's really interesting. I just talked about um, in maybe a couple of episodes ago, um, what I call like the story mindset, right? And it's this idea that we are in control of our stories and, and can write the future. Um, and it's all based on our mindset. And so you're talking about that. And it's this idea that um, when we know what our purpose is and what our mission is within that purpose, um, and we're aligned on that, and we align everything on it, then like, you know, it's when ordinary people can do extraordinary things. And you know, it's, it's extraordinary to run a business. Yeah. Um, you know, I believe that in how I came up and just even, um, you know, the, the backbone of America being its businesses and its business owners. Right. And, um, and so it's like, to me, it's this idea that, uh, and I can see how, if they, if they spent their entire lives building this thing, uh, that has been their purpose and their mission that removing that then is kind of like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Well, now what is it? Um, so that's cool that you actually get to help work through that with them. Um, I'm sure that that makes a big difference in the whole process. Yeah, no, it's, it's a big part of, of at least the conversation. Again, we, we have lots of resources that we bring in to try to help them think through that, but you know, it's, it's, it's a factor, right. That we have to help them consider and think through. It's not the only factor, but it's definitely one that I think is often overlooked. And we just make sure that we at least address it, help them think through what that's going to mean for them on the other side. And then, you know, try to put as many resources in place that we can to help them start to um, think through, okay, how am I going to stay busy and active um, on the other side of this? And it's the same, whether it's selling a business or retiring from a career that they've been at for 30 or 40 years, 
that was their purpose. I mean, the dollars might be slightly different, you know, in terms of the magnitude of, of the outcome from a transaction versus a retirement, but it's the same, a lot of the same issues. Um, dollar amounts, you know, uh, don't really matter in that. It's the same. We see the same in just someone who's been working for the same company for 30 plus years, retires, and has that same emptiness if they, if they didn't figure out what they're going to do to stay healthy, active mentally and physically once they're retired. So one of the biggest uh, assets that you have and, and what you can offer to your clients is, is your network, right? And your ability to be able to uh, offer them resources from a lot of different places while also not uh, giving them the same level of cost that might come with having that, um, which you call a virtual family office. Um, so can you talk with me a little bit more about what exactly that is? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it from a couple of angles. First, how important it is just to do the work we do for clients to have that network. And, you know, so part of our process and helping them go through whatever transition they might be going through in their lives, whether it's an internal transition in the business, whether it's an external sale, whether it's transitioning their wealth to their family, it's bringing in the right professionals uh, around them to ensure that they're going to have the best chance of achieving the outcomes that they're looking for. And, you know, again, most of the clients we're dealing with are in pretty complex situations. And so help the, the ability to bring in that team around them. And we use this idea of a virtual family office and in our business, a family office, typically if you have a, a billion dollars or more, and typically a billion dollar liquidity event, you will in-house this whole team you know, your, your wealth manager, your CPA, your attorney, they'll spend hundred percent of their time just working for that family, identifying how to optimize their world. Most of the families we're working with are between you know, call it 20, 30 million and 500 million in wealth. And they don't typically need a, a family office, but they need a lot of the elements um, that those family offices do. And so one of our specialties is how do we um, identify those professionals that they need around them, but only bring them in as needed and be able to, you know, then take them away when they're not so that that family doesn't have as nearly big of a cost uh, to running, but getting the same outcomes for them. You have, I mean, you work with a network of people um, all over uh, who are experts at what they do. And so you've been able to put together this team um, of resources that that you can bring to your clients and things like that. And and obviously the skill set that you have with the, the decades of experience that you bring and, and the many clients and different um, situations that you've already been privy to. Um, so, so working with them and helping your clients and, and growing your business has been a big part of this, obviously, because you're very talented, um, and have a group of people around you who are very talented at what they do. Um, you know, part of this podcast is talking about elevating your brand and accelerating your journey to success, which, which you've done. Um, I mean, you really have done that. So, uh, could you share a little bit of how, you know, a, a personal brand has helped you been able to form those relationships and, and make those connections and, and grow your business. So from a personal branding standpoint um, and, and how that's impacted you know, myself and, and building of that network, I think it's been pretty profound. So I was, I would say a little bit of a skeptic uh, when I first started um, thinking about our world and building a personal brand and, and, and building content, all of that. I just, you know, would it, would people read it? Would it, would they watch the videos and all of that? And, and what I've found is that, um, for me personally, it's, it's not that I don't get phone calls out of the blue, um, from, you know, very wealthy families that are looking for me necessarily. However, how it's been very valuable is the professionals that I work with, um, they will read 
um, the the information that I put out. They watch the videos that I put out, and I know that it builds a lot of credibility um, with those professionals um, because they see. Oh, I work with the clients that they want to bring more value to. I'm experienced in working in these very complex areas because I have a video on it. Um, and just having a video around a complex talk, topic doesn't mean you're an expert in it. Um, but the way that we present it, it's clear that I at least have a good working knowledge of that solution or that idea um, beyond what most advisors might, right? Um, so that's one. And then I think what's more, just as if not more important, I know what happens is when a when a professional will introduce me to one of their best clients, they will look us up and they will, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's our website, and they will go through, they won't necessarily watch hours of videos, but they'll just go through the topics at the very least. And they'll say, do they work with people like me? And I know from talking to those prospective clients as they've come in the door and they'll say, like, I watched this specific video, I watched this, I read this specific blog, um, and it, it, I, I knew that you, you know, understood what we were going through in this particular scenario. And so from a, from a credibility standpoint, the fact that we're putting out all of this content, um, shows the people that are coming in that want to work with us or considering working with us, um, that we really do have an expertise, um, and an understanding of the issues that they're dealing with. So there's a, there's a blog post on it. There's a video specifically related to it. And I think it's had a pretty um, impactful um, piece of, of how when we, we're not perfect by any stretch, but um, we rarely have somebody, um, if they say no to working with us, um, it's not because of our expertise. It's not because of the, um, their confidence that we can deliver an outcome. Most times they're not ready. Uh, for the level of planning that we're going to be doing with them. Um, and I'm very confident from the things they've said and the other professionals that we work with have said that um, a lot of that comes from the content that we put out and the work that we've done on creating the personal brand um, around that content. That's cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's a conversation I have a lot where it's the difference between using that to generate leads, which like you said, people aren't out there looking in that way. Uh, to converting those leads. Once they do look, they see you as that authority. So that's, um, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And I understand there's probably other industries where you can use that content more from a, a you know, proactive getting people to respond. I think with the types of clients we work with and the, and the work that we do, um, well, partly is because of the relationships we've developed with the professionals, we don't need it. We've got a a pipeline of, of ideal opportunities coming in the door. But I also just, I think we are in an industry that people aren't looking for me. Um, you know, the clients are typically not, not, Oh, I want to go find a wealth manager that specializes in a virtual family office. No, they, <laughs> right. they, they talk to their CPA or their attorney and say, I have a problem and that's their trusted advisor. And that professional then says, okay, we have the, the best person in the world that deals specifically with that issue that you are talking to me about, you need to go talk to Homer. And that's how, so that's how we get introduced. But while they, while they trust those professionals, they're still going to look us up. Um, and uh, I just know the importance when I go look up somebody or a professional, when I've been introduced and they have an old website that hasn't been updated in 15 years, or at least it looks like it hasn't been updated in 15 years, there's no content. It doesn't mean that they don't know their stuff by any stretch doesn't mean they're any less of an expert, but it's harder to confirm it, um, without having some of that, um, information that's out there. And, um, so, so I, I definitely think it's been a critical part of our success. 
So Homer, your your most recent book, Making Smart Decisions, How Ultra Wealthy Families Get Superior Wealth Planning Results, right? So tell me a little bit about what brought that book on and, and what we find in those pages and then ultimately how someone can get their hands on it too. Yeah, so, the, so where the book came about was um, what we recognized in the work that we were doing is that, um, and in our world, we're highly regulated. We're a highly regulated industry. Um, there's nothing that we do that's unique because if we can do it, then anybody technically could do it. Um, the types of solutions we bring to the table, the way that we work with clients. But what we did find is the way we approach working with the other professionals and with these clients is rare. Just not many other advisors do it the way that we do it. And a big part of that approach, which we decided to put into the book, and, and really this book is designed for those wealthy families. So if you're a wealthy family, 30 plus million of net worth, and you want to know whether you're optimizing your financial world and putting yourself on the best path to achieve the outcomes that you want, that, that this is the book for them, right? And so um, a big component of it is, um, I think a lot of advisors in our industry focus on um, telling clients what they think they should do based on their experience. You know, we recommend you do this. And what we have recognized with the clients that we work with, they're really smart people. Um, they're very successful business owners. They know how to make good decisions. Our job really is just putting the best ideas in front of them, giving them all the pros and the cons of those ideas and distilling it down to the two or three that really fit their situation. And from there, we know they can then make a good decision on which one to implement. And so it's kind of changing the nature of how we approach the guidance and the advice that we give to really being a resource um, to those clients and being a resource to the CPAs and the attorneys we work with and not coming in thinking we have all the answers um, for them. And so we kind of look at it from a, like in a, in a successful business, you're typically going to have a, a CFO. That's part of the executive leadership team, a chief financial officer. And their job is to do, it's not just um, doing the accounting um, and making sure the numbers are right. It's actually providing strategic guidance and doing research around what are some of the directions the business can take from a financial standpoint. But again, the CEO is still the one that's going to make the call on which of those they think is going to be the best direction for the firm. We do the same thing for their personal world. So we look at ourselves as kind of their personal chief financial officer. We're tasked with going out and finding all of the best ideas that are out there that they could implement presenting them in a way that they actually understand it and would be confident around implementing it and then giving them those advantages and disadvantages and letting them choose and having really no, um, no, not really care, but more no, um, uh, whatever outcome they pick, we don't really care about. We're not, we're agnostic. So we're not pushing a product. We're not hoping they do something because it's going to provide a higher commission or a higher revenue stream for us. We really want really what's the best outcome for the client. And so kind of the idea of the book too, what we say is, is pulling back the curtain a little bit on our industry and helping them understand a little bit how it's the decks a bit stacked against them um, in terms of the, the way our industry is set up. So again, putting a little bit of, I think, a, a spotlight on, on some of the good and the bad of our industry as well. So, so that's really where, what the book is all about is just getting, how do we help our clients get the very best outcome um, and, and put them on track to achieve the things that they want to achieve. And so it, Here's a copy of the book. Um, so interestingly enough, like our, we, did, we had a previous book that was focused more on professionals and, and we put it out on Amazon and, and really focused on a drive to be like an Amazon bestseller. We got all that. Um, 
this book is not designed for that. You know, it's a very narrow market. It's more really the way that we, again, from a personal branding standpoint, how we're using it is through the professionals we work with. And so the CPAs and the attorneys, we're allowing them to put a forward in the book, um, a, a customized forward for them, and then having them hand it out to their very best clients. Um, and, or I'm handing it out to a prospective client that I'm introduced to directly. And it's, you know, it's kind of a, a, a big brochure, a big business card on what we do and how we do it. And again, from a personal brand and credibility standpoint, I wrote the book on how to be, make smart decisions when you're an ultra wealth, ultra wealthy business owner. And so again, from a, from a credibility standpoint, does it really mean because I wrote the book that I'm any more of an expert than anybody else? Not necessarily. Now, I, we had to do a lot of work to build our process to get to that. So I actually do believe we have a lot of expertise that others do not have. But when a client reads it and gets gets handed out, just from our side of things, the personal branding side of things, it makes a huge difference um, from a credibility standpoint to have authored a book um, on this topic. Well, Homer, um, I ask everybody this question and we'll kind of say this in closing then, um, you know, to anybody listening today, whether they're here in their business or there in their business or just uh, on their journey, whatever that might be, uh, what would be a piece of advice that you could that you could give them from your experience and what you've been through? Yeah, I would say so. Obviously, I'm a little biased because I work Zach with you all and Nick and the team, and and um, I've seen huge value in the experience that I've had, and um, and everybody's path is going to be different on going down the personal branding and what you need it for, what you're going to use it for. Um, what I would say though, is if you want to accelerate your success, uh, and that's what we actually talk about with our clients, how do we accelerate um, the achievement of the things you want to do? Um, building a personal brand, you know, getting involved in content creation, whether it's a blog or whatever it is it might be for you, or a, you know, a, 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 a podcast, uh, I would say jump on it and, uh, and commit at least a year and get a budget for it and commit a year and and try it out, put the content out there, work with a team like, like Zach and, and celebrity branding to um, customize what your message really needs to be. And I am confident there will be a positive outcome, whether it's exactly what you were shooting for or not, you know, that'll be dependent. I think a lot of the work you put into it, but, but I would say if, if you're really trying to accelerate and build much more quickly than you're doing today, building that personal brand and getting content out there, um, I, I would say you just commit and, and move forward with it. Awesome. Well, um, Homer, our mission at Celebrity Branding Agency is to help the right people help more people. And you are very clearly helping more people. Um, and you are one of those right people. So uh, it's a pleasure working with you. And thanks so much for uh, for jumping on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time and um, and the wealth of information that you're able to share with us. Yeah, thanks for having me and uh, enjoy love working with you guys. And uh, yeah, glad to be uh, glad to be a part of it. Absolutely. And thank all of you for joining us today, too. If you liked it, please uh, like, subscribe, click on the little button, whatever it is out there. Uh, appreciate you. And until next time, see you later.